We are in our Colossians series, so uh, if, you, if you were here last week, we started back into it, but really it began in the fall. And so to catch up, if you haven't been here, you would really have to go back and listen on the podcast to messages throughout the fall. We spent a couple of months working through the first, um, first bit of Colossians. And so this morning we arrive in Colossians 3. Now, I, I read a novel about Julius Caesar, so it's not, it's like historical fiction or something. So I, so I preface this story with that. I don't know if it's actually history or if it's just a, a legend or a story. But in this novel about Julius Caesar, um, there's a story about the third legion. And so there's different legions that fought at different points or in different ways. And so the third legion, they're in Greece, and they're fighting against the enemies of Caesar. And at one point, the third legion um, runs. So they leave their post, they leave their spot in the battle, and they start to run. And Julius Caesar is nearby, and so he runs forward, and he grabs their standard, and he lifts up the standard... And he stands in the middle of all these men running away, and he holds the standard, and he calls them to go back to the battle. And they ignore him, and they all run. And they leave him standing there. And he is so broken by the fact that his beloved legion would leave that he just stays there. Now, the enemies think that it's an ambush. They think it's a trick because there's Julius Caesar, and no one's there. And so they don't do anything. They just leave him. And he goes back. Um, back to his battle lines, and they retreat and reform for another battle later. Now, what happens when uh, a legion runs in the face of battle is that you can't trust them anymore. They're marked with cowardice, right? And the price or the penalty for, for cowardice or leaving your post in a battle is death. Because you can't trust the legion anymore. What are you going to do with them? You have to make an example. And so Julius Caesar says, you know, you guys are done. And as they're about to pronounce the sentence, one of the generals, one of his other generals, comes over and says, hey, um, our, the 10th Legion is, has been decimated quite a bit. Can we go and pick out the best soldiers from the 3rd Legion and shore up that one, and then, you know, you can be done with the rest? And so Julius Caesar says, sure. Okay, so he tells them, 10th is going to walk among you, and they'll spare some of you, and the rest of you are under penalty of death. And so the 10th Legion goes in one by one, and they tap people on the shoulder, and they start to take the best of them. And then slowly, they keep tapping people on the shoulder until there's no one left. (laughs) They tapped everybody. And Caesar realizes, and he goes along with it, and so he says, the 3rd Legion is dead. They're gone. Strike their, their names from the rosters. There is no 3rd Legion. They died. Now, this is a new legion. It's not the 10th anymore. And your lives, when you were picked, are in their hands. And so he renames them the 4th Greek Legion because they're in Greece. This is the story. And so I think about it and I think, what would that be like to stand there knowing you were dead? Standing there waiting. And they, they were disciplined soldiers, so they didn't, like, run away. They, like, stood there waiting for their sentence. And then to have these people walk among you and then to feel the tap on your shoulder. Like someone call you to life and and bring you over to this new place, this new life, and your old life would be dead. That's the story, and that's our story this morning. Paul and Timothy wrote a letter together, and the letter was Colossians. 
Romans, this book in the Bible. A letter to the church in Colossae, a town in the Roman Empire. And it's a town a lot like our town. I said this before. And it's a people a lot like, like us. Dealing with some of the same stuff we're dealing with. Like wondering, how do, we, how do we live as Christians in a world that is not Christian? That's the wrestle they have. A question. And like for us, it's all too easy to simply add Jesus to a bunch of other life philosophies. A bunch of ways we could live. And Paul's letter challenges the Colossians and us. That Jesus alone is the source of our salvation and our life. And this should change how we see everything. It should change how we live. It should change our direction. That's our passage this morning. If you are following along in your own Bible, it would be Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. If you are very modern and you have a Bible on an app, you can do that as well, or I will read it out for you. But Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4 says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Wow. This is such a beautiful passage. So beautiful. If you are a Christian, your real life is with and in Christ, and the best is still to come. If you are a Christian, your real life is with and in Christ, with the best still to come. Paul says, set your hearts. I taught grammar for a little bit. I was in English as a second language teacher, and so one of my jobs in that job was to teach grammar, which was my favorite thing ever, as you can well imagine, teaching grammar. So fun. And one of the things we, we learn about are conditionals. So a conditional is uh, it's a statement that has two parts to it. It is a conditional, so something that is conditional, right? It's like, if something, then there's an outcome, right? So there's a condition and outcome. So if you work hard in life, then good things will come to you. That like, would be like a proverb, we could say. If you work hard in life, good things will come to you. Or I could say, if you fall asleep in my sermon then I will throw something at you. Which is more of a warning than a, a proverb, really. Or we could say, if you are a good parent, then your baby will never cry. Which we know is not true. So it's not even like it has to be true. We're just like, we can say anything. But the point is like, if there's a condition, then there's an outcome. There's some kind of action. There's something there that's conditional upon the first part. So Paul uses conditionals to, to make his point. And he uses one earlier from the, in the passage last week. So chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, if you died with Jesus, and then he says, then he asks a question, why do you still submit to the world, basically? So his conditional is like a question because what it should be is, if you died with Christ, then you are dead to the world, would be the outcome. But he says, if you died with Christ, then why are you acting like you're still alive to the world? That doesn't make any sense. Because it should be that you're dead to the world. 
And then we have a conditional in our passage this morning. And that conditional is chapter 3, verse 1. It says, if you have been raised with Christ, then, so he doesn't have the then, but it's an imperative, seek after things above. And the implication is people who've been raised with Jesus will and should seek after things above, seek after the kingdom. Now, I think we have trouble with the if. I have trouble with the if. And the reason why is because we aren't always sure. That's why. Someone says, well, if, and we're like, oh, if, I don't, well, now it's conditional. And we wrestle with this. So people will say, well, if you love Jesus, then you will obey him. People will be like, oh, no, I have trouble obeying Jesus, so maybe, maybe I don't love him. Is that what that means? Or if you have faith, then your life will demonstrate it with works. We say, oh, maybe I don't have faith because my works are, I don't know, are my works good? I don't, yeah. So my faith, I'm wondering about my faith. And we wrestle with that, the conditional part of it. Or if you're a Christian, then you're a holy saint. We say, well, I know I'm not a holy saint, so I don't, then maybe I'm not a Christian. And we question, and we wrestle with the if. And the challenge is because we think because I struggle, because it's hard or I have a difficult time, then maybe I'm not or I don't. And we fill in the blank. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 to 7 says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Wow, that's a real run-on sentence. With a lot of great words in it. Wow. This is all about God. About what God is doing. And that's what Paul is saying when he says... If you have been raised, he's not saying, he's not saying this as if it's a doubtful thing. Like, well, if you've been raised, then uh, he's not saying it like that. Because it isn't an effort of human will. It's actually a passive. If you have been raised, if you, you have been raised, not if you raised yourself, but if that happened. And it happens because of God. It's, it's like if we took my kids and one of them came to me and they said, there they are. They always do this, sit on each other's laps and smile. Um, if one of my kids came to me and they said, Dad, I, I don't feel like I belong. I'm really struggling and I, I, I don't feel like I fit in. I'm just not sure about it. And I might say to them, well, if your last name is Headley, then you belong. Is your last name Headley? And they'll be like, yeah, my last name is Headley. Like, yeah, so you belong. You're part of our family. If you're part of our family, you have a place. It's not like I say, if you're a Headley, then you belong. They'll be like, well, maybe I'm not a Headley because I don't feel like I belong. It's like, that that wouldn't make any sense. You say, well, if you're a Headley. Oh, yeah, no, I'm a Headley. It's the same thing. Paul says, if you've been raised, right? Yes. Okay, well, then the rest is true for me just like if I've been raised. And I wonder what would change if we really believed this were true? What would change if I really believed that I've been raised with Christ? Paul says, I would seek the things above. I would set my heart after this. The imperative 
in the New American Standard says, keep seeking. Or in the NIV, it's set your hearts. And I like that. I thought, oh, set your hearts. That's funny because it doesn't say hearts. Why, why are they adding hearts in? And then so I looked up the word. What does it mean? So in the Greek, which you know I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can look up Greek words. So this is the word, zeteo. Zeteo. And it means to seek in order to find. So a thing or to seek anything, to find it out by thinking or meditating or reasoning or to inquire into, to seek for something, to aim at it, to strive after it, or to seek like to require or demand, to crave or to desire. Look, you get this picture of like going after something with everything. And that's the picture, that's the word. For Paul, Zeteo is not just one part of, one part of life. Like, oh yeah, I, I sought after my lost coin and I found it. You could say that. Paul doesn't, he's not using it like that. It's about the decisive direction of the human will that I'm choosing with all that I am. Like, I desire the kingdom or I desire after the things of God. I see, I'm seeking after it with my heart. Which makes sense, because if Jesus did all the work to reconcile and save you, then it, it's a fitting response that you would redirect your life to follow him, to go after him. And seeking implies intention. Intention. You know, David's one of those people in the Bible that I, I'm kind of fascinated by him, and I, I go back to him, and I keep going back to him, and he surprises me sometimes because I, I look at him and, you know, he's described as a man after God's heart, a person who sought after the Lord. But then he, like, blows it in really big ways, too. Like, fails just spectacularly. And so, I, like, I keep coming back like this. It's so interesting. And then he's the one that they talk about. He's the king whose, whose throne it is that goes on for. But he wasn't the first king, but his, his throne is the throne that's going to go on. And his line is the line that's going to go on forever. Why David? Like, I know he loved you, God, but why David? And I, I, I recently reread a story again, and, and I saw something I'd never seen before. So the story is where David um, realizes, you know, he's like, I'm, I live in this palace, and God doesn't, doesn't have a, a palace or a temple. He's in a tent. And so he goes to the prophet Nathan, and he says, Nathan, I live in a house of cedar. God lives in a tent. I want to make him a house. And Nathan says, sure, go ahead. Yep, God is with you. And then Nathan goes home, and the Lord speaks to Nathan and says, No, I don't want him to build my house. I want his son to do it. He has too much blood on his hands. He's killed too many people. He can get it ready, but I don't want him to do it. And if you read in 1 Samuel, or 2 Samuel chapter 7, this is the part that I miss. God actually says, Who gave him this idea? Who gave him this idea? I didn't say this. I didn't say build me a house. I didn't tell the prophets. Where did he come up with this? And that's why God says, I don't want you to build it, David, but because you thought of it, because you thought of me, and it wasn't something I told you to do. You were just thinking of me. I'm going to reward you by making your throne last forever. Your line. It's amazing. David gets this heaven idea from somewhere. Where does he get it from? Not because someone told him to, because he's thinking and longing for the Lord. He's, he writes, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so 
pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And Abraham follows the voice, and Moses asks to see the face, and the woman washes his feet with her hair, and Stephen sees the heaven open. And they set their hearts on things above. And when they did, beautiful things happened. When they set their hearts and their affections on the Lord. Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's a tale. Psalm 119, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Blessed are those ones. And, of course, Jeremiah 29, 13, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Seek after the Lord. Set your heart on him. Secondly, Paul says, set your mind. Set your mind. So we have what's called a PVR. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Some of you are older, so I'm just going to explain it. A PVR is, I don't know what it stands for because I'm getting old myself now. And a PVR is a lot like a VCR used to be. So you can, you hook it up to your TV and it will record things that happen on your TV without a little video cassette. Okay? There it is. So this is a really amazing thing. So now I don't, I, I very, very rarely would watch a sports game live because for one, it's hard to fit the time in my schedule. And for two, it's like, why would I watch the commercials when I can record it and fast forward through it and then just watch the game? And so I really like this. It's really amazing and awesome. Now, the downside of this is that when you don't watch a game live, people tell you the score. Hey, do you hear about the Whitecaps? Yeah, thanks a lot. Right? And they, they ruin it for you all the time. So this is a downside of it. But, but I found something that's, that's changed for me as I watch sports games this way. This is what's changed. Sports aren't stressful anymore. I don't feel stressed at all. In fact, I laugh when the other team is cheering on, you know, their goal that they got or their touchdown or their basket. This is recently. <laughs> if you cheer for the Raptors, this would be a game recently. And it just, it doesn't bother me because uh, my stomach doesn't lurch when the game goes from bad to worse, if I already know the end, right? Like, I'm not worried. My mood doesn't change. I could be giddy and relaxed. I just, oh, it's just so relaxing watching sports now. It's awesome. And I am this way because I know the final outcome. That's why. So if you and I have the book of Revelation in our Bible, like you should read it, then you and I know the final outcome. We know the end. We know the final score. So whatever's happening right now, should not stress us out the same way as if we don't know the final score. <gasps> oh, are we going to win? I don't know. I don't. If you have Revelation, you know. <laughs> and if you haven't read it, I'll spoil it for you. We win. <laughs> Jesus wins. God wins. That's it. Spoiler. So no one in heaven is worried or despondent or upset if it looks like things aren't going heaven's way. God doesn't see it from the same perspective as you and I would. Because they know the final outcome. And Paul is talking about a perspective shift when he says this. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. 
And this is the kind of shift Paul has experienced because Paul makes a list of things that he's experienced in his life. So I'll read some of them out to you. He's been beaten, whipped, stoned, and not like on drugs, like with rocks. Shipwrecked, adrift, in danger, in hardship, and toil, hungry and thirsty, without sleep, exposed to the elements and stressed about his job, the church. 2 Corinthians 11 is the list. But Paul knows the final outcome. So he has a different view. He is like a heaven view, a view from above at what's going on in his life. That's why he could write in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore we do not lose heart. Yes, it's hard, but we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, that's what he calls that list. (laughs) Wow. Are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So why do we live in anxiety, fretting and worrying, stressed out about all this stuff? We know the final score. We know how it all comes out in the end. So however down it seems like we are, however many points it looks like, or however much the enemy seems to be winning at any given moment, we know the end. We know the end. And Paul says, set your mind on this. The word is phreneo, which means to direct one's mind to a thing, to seek or strive after something. But the verb really means to think which is by itself kind of neutral. Because you could think toward whatever you want. You could think up or you could think down. Whichever way. For example, Romans 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse 5 says, those who live according to the flesh, phreneo, set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, phreneo, set their minds on the things of the spirit. You could go either way. The word is neutral. You could set yourself one way or the other. Now, there's a person in my life that, that is the best setter I know. And it's Gabe, my son. Second, second born son. There he is. Smiling with his snorkel. Gabe is the best setter I know. So when he was little, this was hard to realize. Because it kind of came out as, um, like, I don't want to go to bed was the thing. And I would be like, well, you need to go to bed. Well, I don't want to go to bed. Well, I I mean, you should go to bed. Well, why should I go to bed? Well, because your body needs it. God made you this way that you need sleep, but I don't want to go to bed. Okay, well, you need to go to bed. If you don't, this is, I'm going to spank you. What? Well, I don't want to go to bed. Okay, well then, how about I give you the, I'm going to bribe you, you know, but I don't want to go to bed. It didn't, I, I could use every good or bad parenting technique. It didn't matter. Because he'd set his mind on something, and that's what he was, going to stay that way. And so we had to teach Gabe, as we learn more about the gifts of that, we had to teach Gabe, you know what? When you set your mind on something that's a good road and it leads to a good place, great. Set your mind after that. Like, set your mind after the Lord? I'm not worried about you. But if you set your mind on not going to sleep, that's going to have some bad outcomes. So change your thinking. Change what you've set your mind on. And he learned this. And he's really good about it now. He tells other people. 
hey, this is what we do. You direct your thinking. You set your mind. And things of the flesh or things of the spirit, things above or things below. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. It's not just, oh, things above, I'm going to keep thinking about those things. It's that it's through that lens that everything else gets viewed. So it's like glasses you put on more than just like looking at something. So when, when we have this expression, you know, to be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Have you ever heard this? Yeah, it's a common expression. So to be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. And I kind of think of that when I see the words things above. So it's like set your mind on things above. And I think, oh, things above. Oh, yeah, the heavenly stuff. And I think of things like, you know, spiritual things, things that we'd be like, yeah, visions and, and dreams and angels and healing and maybe special knowledge and revelation or like a very moral lifestyle, something that's like, wow, that person's so spiritual. Look how they live. And those are the things I think of when I think of things above. But the funny thing is Paul has just said that it's not that stuff. So last week, listen to last week. It's not this big list of things that we're setting our minds on. Philippians 2, chapter 2, verse 2 says, Paul writes, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. That's that word again, phreneo. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent. That's the word, phreneo. On one purpose, phreneo. What's the thing we're thinking on? What's the thing we're setting our minds on? What's Paul talking about? What does he mean? Jesus. He says it six times to be of the same mind. And then he gives the illustration of Jesus came and he gave himself up. He was a servant. He was humble. He acted in love. That's the same mind. Think like that. Set your mind on that, on Jesus who lived like this. So what's our purpose? Is to be like Christ. To be in him and of him. To set our minds on his rule and his reign. And always in the picture of humility. Paul says in the next couple of verses, to put on love which connects everything together. And why do we do all this? Because we are dead and hidden. One morning in 1888, a guy named Alfred woke up and he read his obituary in the newspaper. And the reason why he read his obituary was because a journalist had made a mistake and had heard that his brother had died and so thought it was him. And then they started, they were started writing the obituary. So Alfred wakes up to see his obituary in the paper. Now, for you and me, this would be a little bit disturbing. We'd be like, whoa, there's a mistake here. Wow, okay, that's crazy. For Alfred, it was very, very shocking because Alfred saw himself the way the world saw him, which was a shock to him. See, Alfred was the one who invented dynamite. And so uh, this is what he was known for, the dynamite king, they called him. He was an industrialist who'd made this immense fortune from explosives. And so... Out of explosives come violence, come death. And so that was kind of the legacy they were painting of him. And it disturbed him. 
And he decided in that moment as he read it that he was going to change it. So when it came around in real life, it was going to be something different. And so he, he went and he changed his will and he set out where his fortune would go. And he established these different prizes, five different prizes for different areas of, of people doing amazing work in, in the world. One of those, the most valuable, was uh, a prize for the one who had done the most for the cause of peace. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called the Nobel Peace Prize. What's his legacy? I didn't know he was the dynamite king. I did know that there's a peace prize called the Nobel Peace Prize. You guys, we don't all get this chance. We're not all going to die, read our obituary, and then change it, right? That's, that's not going to happen, except for it does for Christians. It does for Christians. Do you know this? Paul says, for you died. You died. That's the picture. We're going to do baptisms in June. And a few of us, the, we do baptisms out at Alouette Lake. And so a few of us are going to go and share our story on the beach. And what happens usually is there's a crowd and people, some people come over and like, oh, what's happening here? And they get to hear the story of what Jesus has done in their lives. And so that's really funny. We always laugh. Hey, oh, come on over. Yeah, no, come on over. Come see, hear this story. And then after they've shared their testimony, their story of what God's done, how Jesus has saved them and transformed them, we go out into the lake. And you have to go kind of far, actually, because it's a bit shallow. And so we go out quite far, and then I, I say these questions, you know, hey, do, you know, is this your intention to give your life to Jesus? To Jesus! And I shout it really loud. And then, and then they go under the water, which is cold and dark like a grave. And I hold them there for a long time. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No I, don't. no, I don't. No, I don't. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. And then they come up out of the water like they're coming out of a grave in new life. Like, like, like they've been born again is what it's like. It's this beautiful picture. Jesus says unless the seed falls to the ground and dies, it can't produce the harvest. It can't multiply without that death. We died with him, and we are raised with him, and now we live in him and through him. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 6. What should we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace could have, may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like this, like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. There's that saying. We keep hearing it over and over. If you have died 
For you have died, Paul writes, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does it mean to have a hidden life? What does that mean to have a hidden life? It means there's things you can't see. Invisible things about my life. Things you can't see. Like it means you can't see my investment portfolio. If you come over and you say, hey, what, what companies are you investing in? I can't show you. You can't see it. It means you can't see my accolades when you say, hey, John, show me your list of things you've done. Why you're so great and awesome. I can't show you. You can't see it. It means you can't see my net worth. If you said, hey, what's your bottom line? What, you know, what have you got there? You can't see it. It means you can't see if I reach my potential. It means you won't know if I was successful. Because you can't see my life. It's hidden with God. There's a part of it that you can't see. Because it's hidden with God. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Or Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I call this the big reveal. The big reveal. This is why we wait with longing for his return. It's not so we can see Armageddon. It's because we're long and we're waiting for, for him to appear. And so will the rest of me. All the hidden part. This word, again, if you were really into Greek, you could learn a lot of Greek today. It's phaineirao. Phaineirao is the word. Which means appear or revealed. To make manifest or visible or known what is hidden or unknown. To, to, re, uh, to manifest, whether by words or deeds or in any other way, to make actual and visible, realized, to become manifest, to be made known of a person, exposed to view, make manifest, to show oneself, to appear, to become known, to be plainly recognized, thoroughly understood who and what one is. They use this word about Jesus when he's raised from the dead. Like, hey, there's that guy. Yeah, he's the gardener. Oh, there's that guy. Oh, yeah, he's a beachcomber. Oh, yeah, there's that guy. He's the traveler on the road who asks a lot of questions. You know that guy. And then they see him. He is revealed for who and what he is. And the same thing's true for us. That's going to happen for us. The real you. You will appear. The you that you were made to be. The you that's hidden in God. The most you you could be. Does that make any sense? (laughs) You, 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 you. You. I love the the Narnia books and I, I love the pictures that the allegories they give us. And the very last book is called The The Last Battle. And I don't really like that book as much because it's really dark and heavy and there's like a weird monkey in it. And so it's like, okay. And he, just the other day I was talking and Maddie said, oh, I, I just love The Last Battle. 
And I was like, the last battle, really? I, like, I don't like that one as much because it's going to with the weird monkey, right? And she said, oh, yeah. I said, isn't that so dark? She said, yeah, that's the, dar- the darker it is, the more the end is so beautiful. I just love the end. Where Aslan says, the dream is ended, and this is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. For to us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's a beautiful picture. That's what I'm longing for and waiting for with all anticipation. If you are a Christian, your real life is with and in Christ with the best still to come. Paul says, set your hearts. And if we belong to God's family, if we've experienced salvation, if we've been raised in resurrection power, and you have, then our lives will be redirected. And we set our hearts, our affections after Jesus, after his kingdom. And Paul says, set your minds. A change in perspective changes everything. And we know the end of this story. Jesus wins. And that should change things for us. Everything wrong made right. So why are we living in fear? Set your mind on this eternal perspective, on the way of Jesus. And lastly, we died and are hidden. We died and as surely as the soldiers of the third legion died and were struck from the roster and found new life somewhere else. That is our story. So we wait with anticipation for Jesus and our lives to be revealed in fullness, which we don't get now. We get in part, but not in full. Let's pray.